A somber hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast presented by All About the Jersey. My name's Dan Roselle, and I am certifiably upset. How about you, John Fisher? I am John Fisher, managing editor of All About the Jersey, and I am in a weird state of confusion, disappointment, anger, and somberness. <laughs> so let's start with the obvious news of the day, and that's of course the fact uh, we're recording this over the weekend, but uh, it's been a disastrous opening weekend for the Devils, so they respond by going out and signing defenseman Joe Morrow to a one-year two-way AHL contract, basically to give them some depth and to also say, hey, listen, our defense has been atrocious. Maybe we should have at least one career NHLer left in Binghamton that we can call up in case of emergency. That's what this feels like. More specifically, an NHL veteran who has played on the left side, because Matt Tennyson's a right-sided defenseman, and that's exactly who he is. He, he, he's actually had a really interesting career in the sense of who he's been traded for. He was originally drafted by Pittsburgh, so of course, Cheryl and Hines knows him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. The key phrase is a little bit, because he only lasted in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton for a season, as the Penguins moved into Dallas as part of the deal to bring Brendan Morrow to Pittsburgh. And then he only spent a handful of games with the Texas Stars, because he, in the summer, he was part of the big Tyler Seguin trade that went to Dallas. Mm-hmm. He, he was in that giant package deal that Boston weirdly maybe doesn't regret. I don't know. Whatever. He stayed with Boston in that organization. He hit the open market in 2017. He signed with Montreal. Didn't last, didn't stay there beyond the season, signed with Winnipeg, didn't stay there. He was on a PTO with our hated rivals. He didn't make the team. So the market has basically said he's not really an NHL player anymore. So welcome to the land of two-way contracts, Morrow. Yeah, and sign him up for our left-handed defense. So let's launch into exactly what happened here. And I just want to start with the caveat that all of this comes with the understanding that we are indeed two games into the season. If you asked me last year after their what ended up being a 4-0-0 start, how I felt, I would tell you I felt great. And they've they've had a couple of hot starts in a row, and they always just kind of fizzle out. So maybe, you know, I'm trying to spin this in the best positive way that I can. Maybe it's good to go through adversity early with a lot of the new guys, but there's a lot to take away from these two games that they played. Of course, the home opener, after leading 4 nothing, they let up a goal with 10 seconds left in the second period, and immediately my brain went straight to, oh boy, they're going to blow it, aren't they? And I don't know why. I think it's a reactionary shell shock, and guess what? It was very warranted as they continued to give up goal after goal. We had a Schneider injury scare, thank God he's okay. And then the game against Buffalo the next night in their home opener, one team looked ready to play in the NHL, and the other one thought it could coast through on talent alone, and obviously got destroyed, did not stop anything on the penalty kill, they just looked completely out of sorts, and we had a Hall injury scare, and again, thank God that he's okay as well, but these two were probably, you know, at least they got a point in the Winnipeg one, they could have easily lost that one in regulation, they very nearly did. Yeah, and Blackwood had to bail them out at the last second, but, you know... Actually, it was the post. Oh, okay, Blackwood, some combination <laughs> I thought it was Bla- Blackwood, too, and then I saw the replay, and it was, nope, it was our good friend, the Red Iron. Oh, he did He did bail them out in overtime a couple times, but... Yes. I mean, they shouldn't have been there in the first place, so, you oh. know, I, there's plenty of negative to talk about. Do yeah. you see any sort of positives to take away from these first two games? And, again... 
there's teams out there in the NHL who don't have a point yet. So let's yeah. let's all put pause on the whole tanking take here. It's very, very early in the season. They have lots of time to fix it and a very light October schedule. So hopefully they don't fall too far behind. But what positives can we take from these first two games this weekend? Well, I want to preface that a lot of the Devils fans are understandably very unha- angry, very upset. And at the same time, I think you use the phrase perfectly shell-shocked. Because after a summer where you get Jack Hughes, you get P.K. Subban, you swing a trade for Nikita Gusev. Preseason comes, Schneider looks great, Blackwood looks great. All right, there's going to be some growing pains. But hey, this team should be able to get some results out of the way and compete right away. And what will, which should be a very tight race for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. So witnessing an incredibly rare occurrence, like giving up four goals to lose a game, which is very rare in in the NHL over the last 25 years or some such. And then to follow that up with a 7-2 destruction in Buffalo is the exact opposite of what you were expecting. It's like you go to a restaurant, you ask for for filet mignon, and you get egg noodles with ketchup. You're going to be upset. Right. Simple as. But you're right. Nothing is over yet. A lot of hockey left to be played. So let's talk about positives. There are no positives from the Buffalo game. <laughs> I am sorry to say this. This is all going to be from the home opener. There, If you're looking for a positive from the Buffalo game, I guess the closest thing you could come up with is they didn't get shut out and the earth did not crash into the sun. And Hall wasn't They're... injured significantly. True. But the fact that you were scared by it does not make it a positive. No. So let's talk about positives that are actually positives first and foremost for the winnipeg game the big positive is obviously that they went out and scored four goals there were many games last season where getting four goals out of that roster was going to take at least two or three games the fact of the matter is that they went out there they faced up against a backup goaltender a winnipeg team that played the night before and already had a suspect defense given that trobo was traded to new york and buffalo was out buffalo is out wondering whether or not he's going to play hockey ever again on top of the fact that their replacements are certainly not at their level. So they went out there and did the right thing for the first two periods. The the goal given up with 10 seconds left, that was a seeing eye shot from the point. It happens, whatever. The Devils were the better team in the run of play. They were constantly attacking, and they didn't stop attacking after they went up 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, or 4-0. Too often in games like this, the other team will finally realize, oh, man, we should probably try playing hockey after we're down a goal or two, and then... It starts. You start wondering if the team is being held back or being forced back. The Devils kept pressing the issue and kept ringing it up. So your big positive is that they did get four on the board. Just as importantly, they got four goals from very different people. Nikita Gusev and its shifted line. It was some sort of mixed change sort of thing. Uh, scored the first goal of the season for the Devils. It was very much a quick heads-up play that was helped out a lot by Brat and Zaka. Very much a quote-unquote gritty goal, so to speak given that uh, it was all come from forechecking and quick quick movements off the puck. You got two goals out of Blake Coleman, including a set, his second goal is almost as good, if not better, than his amazing one-hander against Pittsburgh. Dmitry Kulikov basically draped over his back, and Coleman just said, I'm from Texas. I drink pickle juice. You can't stop this. And Brassant was like, oh, no, I can't stop this. <laughs> and everybody, everybody was thrilled. 
And just as importantly, you got a goal from from depth from in deep. You were expecting a big bomb from maybe Subban, maybe Butcher. You got it from Vatnin, who also has a very good slap shot. So you got goals from different sources. It wasn't just okay. The Heischer line is just going to keep dominating, and they're going to score all the goals, and we're going to win the game. You got goals from other sources. That's also something that you'd like to see. And from the defensive point of view, outside of his last shift in regulation, PK Subban played very well. Andy Green did not look like an anchor on the ice, which is very good. And the pairing of Butcher and Vatanen seemed to do pretty well. And Schneider, when Winnipeg start picking up the pace in the second period, up until his injury, he was very good. He couldn't have seen the first goal. There was too much traffic in front of him. And the second goal against, okay, that was probably a bad rebound that he gave up. But he was making a lot of stops. He robbed Nikolai Ehlers in the second period on an open one-timer. He was looking as good as ever. So if you're looking for positive, oh, and the last positive I want to bring up, the penalty kill. They were perfect. They didn't just kill the penalty. Winnipeg did not register a shot on net, considering that Winnipeg is very loaded up front with Blake Lewieler, Mark Scheifele, Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, Matthew Perot. Holding that crew to nothing is astounding. So those are your positives, which nobody will remember because of how the game happened. <laughs> yeah, so, man, it's it's upsetting. It's it's. You have to wonder if Schneider doesn't get, you know, doesn't start cramping up how the result might have looked. You have to wonder how that would cascade into the next day because it just seemed like whatever shock they had for blowing that 4 nothing lead just carried over right into Buffalo. Anything, the way they played in the third period of that game, just constantly getting hemmed in. Severson and Mueller just completely out of sorts they brought everything bad to buffalo and it was extremely painful to watch it was painful to sit through and at least it's the second game of the season but i i think the assessment from the veterans and from the coaching staff was that they're playing soft so ah continue i, I want to hear the i want to hear this quote from mr uh, i'm gonna assume you're talking from john hines. oh from john hines i'm talking from travis zajac from kyle palmary palmary in particular called it embarrassing zajac cool. says they're too soft with the puck they're not working hard enough and then hines reiterated much of the same thing which to me is like well listen like it's your job to make them not play soft. That is correct. That is exactly what you have to do. And I know there's a lot of new personalities coming in and I know there's a lot of excitement and this team has never faced this much weight of expectation, you know, at least in the last, I don't know, maybe decade or so, they've never faced this much weight of expectation. And some of these guys that have come in here, I'm going to call out a few of them, but they look like they're not really working too hard and they thought the NHL might come easier to them. I'm looking specifically at our glorious young boy Jack Hughes and maybe a Nikita Gusev. These guys who arrived here thinking that, listen, I was pretty good at the level I was playing at, where I was playing, and all of a sudden they're just trying to get too cute with breakouts. There's too many passes. It's too fancy. Gusev, I can understand because he's adjusting to having a little less space on the North American ice surface, so... I, I don't know if it's an effort issue or it's like a adjustment period that he needs. But again, Jack Hughes is 18 years old and he's being saddled with guys who don't play defensively, which makes him look a lot worse in coverage. He has given up the puck so many times. He has been hemmed in the zone. The fourth goal against with Winnipeg was them in the zone for 
two whole minutes and several opportunities to clear the puck and they just tried to get too cute tried to get too fancy so it's going to take probably the next couple of practices to really instill this value of you cannot get cutesy here you have to make the right decisions you can't try to be too fancy with it take the risk when you're in the offensive zone but do not do it when you're trying to break out of your own defensive zone after a minute and a half of already being there i mean i'm sounding more angry than i thought i would but this is just what has consistently remained through the two games like i think there are a lot of devils worth talking about. Hall, Heischer, Palmieri, as expected, have been great. And Subban, you know, at the point where he gave up the giveaway to lead to Buffalo's seventh goal, the game was already out of hand. So I don't put as much stock into something like that. So far, from what I've seen from him, he's been he's been doing everything that's asked of him. It's the the problem of this adjustment period for a new roster, lots of new faces meshing together. It did not happen as everyone thought it would. But again, luckily, this month is very weirdly light for the Devils, besides random back-to-backs here and there. So they have time to figure it out, and everyone's going to say, well, look at the Blues. They were in last place, then they started rallying. I don't want to have to rely on that, do you? Not at all. All the things that you just mentioned, all point to one man, Mm -hmm. one source, (laughs) one thing that is fixable, adjustable, Something that can be worked on, not just in the three days off before their next game in Philadelphia on Wednesday, and not not something that you need a light schedule to work with. It's something that you could even do during a game. I know, it's going to blow your mm. mind. This source is John Hines mm-hmm. and his lack of adjustments. Lack is the key word. I know a lot of people online were very unhappy that during the Winnipeg game that uh, they swapped out Jesper Bratt and John Hayden. On the, on the lines. My problem is that that was the only change he made within the roster. Mm-hmm. Now, truth be told, John Hayden couldn't settle, you know, a bouncing egg at this point. You know, he, he, he is who he is. He is a fourth line guy. He is there to be a guy. Do you need a 12th forward to be a guy? Great. He's a 12th forward who is a guy. He was not the reason why what happened in Winnipeg, against Winnipeg is what happened. The problem is, is that you did not need the fourth goal to happen before to deciding, you know what, I'm just going to bench Mirko Mueller and Damon Severson, which is what he, um, Hines actually did. That line was getting, that pairing was getting its head kicked in all game long. The other two pairings were fine, but this one pairing, Winnipeg just had fun playing against. Mm-hmm. And what, and what did Hines and his coaching staff do about it? Nothing. What happened? They continued to suffer. And I understand that there's a logic to, okay, you had a couple bad shifts. Let's see if they could play through it. But you, as a coach, especially a coach who's been in this league for several seasons now, Hines is actually one of the longest tenure coaches in the NHL right now. He should have a better idea, a better handle on when things can should work itself out and when things are just not working. That pairing was not working, and it was bizarre to me that not only was he willing to just straight up bench him instead of changing it, that you go to Buffalo and you keep the same pairing for most of that game. Yeah, I, Mueller and Severson cannot work together. It baffles now, me. Why is Carrick even on the roster if you're not going to use him? Well, forget forget Carrick. Carrick, Carrick isn't going to fix this. Well, it would change something. Well, you could always just change who play who's paired with who. Mm-hmm. You could have just as easily said Mueller and Vatnin was legitimately decent the last season, even amid all the other issues last season. It was not that bad. You could have switched that off, 
put Butcher with Severson, and hey, at the very least, you get a different look out there. And you could have done it in the Buffalo game since that game went completely out of hand. That was your time to experiment. With respect to Mr. Hughes and Mr. Go- excuse me, Mr. Gusev, it's apparent that what worked in preseason, which is where you could stick Hughes and Gusev against AHL defenders and guys just warming up, it could kind of work. Now that everybody has had a preseason under their belt and the games count, it's you're right. You can't just have Jesper Brat next to them. Brat's not a bad defensive player but he's not nearly good enough to carry both of them. And Miles Wood, as we saw in the Buffalo game, definitely isn't either. But the bigger problem I have is the fact that Jack Hughes and Gusev got to see a top line from Winnipeg, and they presumably got to see a top line against Buffalo. And Hines just said, eh, I'll just keep it. I'll just change a winger here and there, as if that was going to fix it. Better idea in the Winnipeg game, especially after going up 4-1, you could have said, hey, he's your line. Instead of beating up Winnipeg's fourth line for another period, go take on this tougher lineup so Hughes and Gusev and Brat can have a better, more favorable matchup. And then this way, they don't necessarily get hem- hemmed in as much. And if you know it's not working against the fourth line, then you have more of a credence to switch things around. I get it. I agree that Jack Hughes definitely is acclimating himself to the NHL. He's an 18-year-old. He knows he can't just skate the puck out of his own end, especially by his own net. And Gusev definitely needs to provide more of a harder effort on the defensive end. And yes, both guys were definitely trying a little too hard to find that perfect play, find that perfect pass, make that extra pass. But those things will resolve itself. But it's up to the coach to determine who plays with who and just as importantly, who they play against. And it is mind-boggling to me that even if you're not looking at Corsi stats or expected goals figures or all these other analytics, just by pure observation, you couldn't have told me that, hey, this Hughes matchup is working. Yeah, these are two guys who enjoy carrying the puck. What the problem is, they've been turning it over left and right, just getting used to the speed of the league. And they don't have someone who can bail them out of things like that. It's worse than that, Dan. Mm. It's not the turnovers. It's the fact that the other team is better than them. (laughs) The guys they're facing are more experienced, and they will punish you over and over again when you have those turnovers. And worst of all, when you are hemmed in in your own end, when you're playing off the puck, that's Gusev's and Hughes' biggest problem to me. Mm -hmm. The turnovers, you're going to have turnovers because when guys touch the puck a lot, they just happen. Look at Ovechkin, look at Crosby, look at McDavid. They touch the puck a ton of times. Guess what? They have lots of turnovers. But we don't care about that because they provide a lot of value. And, especially in Crosby's case, they're very good at recovering to, to, to make up for whatever mistake that they make. And what's worse is that Gusev and Hughes are not the only ones trying to make that extra pass. We've seen it from, from the like of Simmons, the like of Zajac, Wood. which is why I said ha earlier. Wood, well, Wood, Wood just keeps on shooting no matter what. <laughs> uh, or he'll do drop passes to no one in particular. Right, he's he's not a very smart player, and unfortunately it's showing. But even the Heischer line had some problems with that in the Buffalo game. The truth be told is that I get it. You know, everyone's trying to get back into the season mode and realizing that they just need to simplify a couple things. But if they want to fix something right away to get things better for an upcoming back-to-back with Philly and Edmonton this week, they go up to Boston on Saturday, and then the following week they got more games. They've got issues that they could resolve right now. And that means give Hughes a much more favorable matchup. If you have to move him to wing or give him a different look, like put him with Coleman, put him with, get him away from Gusev at least. So this way you're not compounding the issue of two guys who aren't very defensively strong and acclimating themselves to the game. Don't put them on the same unit or at the very least hide them as much as you can. 
And then look at the Zajac line, which was actually pretty good against Winnipeg, but they were awful against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You don't need to keep the Zajac line together. You don't need to keep Coleman, Simmons, and Zajac in the same crew, which is why, going back to another thing that Hines could have done, but again, failed to realize, is that when you're already down 5-1 or 5-2 in the game, just roll your lines, try some new combinations, maybe you hit on something, because you already lost the game at that point. You might as well try something new. But the fact of the matter is, as you said, the Devils have only had one good line over the last two peri- uh, last two games, and that's Palmieri, Heischer, and Hall. Subban and Green have been your most effective defensive pairing. Fine. But that means the rest of the lineup can absolutely be moved around and should be because, quite frankly, after what transpired against Winnipeg and what happened in Buffalo, you got every reason to do so. My fear is that Hines is just going to say, ah, you didn't, you didn't play hard enough. Just go out there and play harder. Play grittier. Play with more identity. No, man. Put them in a position to succeed. And then you'll find your fantastic identity. So what is the... Like, I'm trying to identify what they think their identity is. Because this is not like... On paper, even, this isn't a very gritty team. This is a team that's high on skill. This is a team that boasts a lot of offensive talent. They're not the guys who dig in the corners. I mean, anyone can do that, but they're not guys known for that. They're not big bodies like Winnipeg. They're not these guys that, you know, I I was just going to say, Zajac, Coleman, Simmons were very effective in the first two periods against Winnipeg, Winnipeg, and that's their whole goal. That's their checking line goal to basically shut down the top line, and they did a great job initially, but I don't know. Like, I think the Buffalo game is just in addition to compounding whatever bad feelings they already had from Winnipeg, it's just one of those games that happen every year where you're just not ready. You don't show up to start. The other teams in their home opener, they had a coaching change too, actually. And a lot of people give them a lot of credit for doing that. A lot of people think that they might have an outside shot at the playoff picture as well, because that is how important it is. They know that Ralph Kruger pushes the right buttons, or at least he did in his international experience. This is something that, like, I get what the circumstances were. They are back to back on a road game, but at least show up. My God. Exactly. This is not. This is not a game in November or December where it's the doldrums of the season. Everybody's tired. You're on a road trip. No, this is game two. Get up for game two. Mm-hmm. Especially after what happened in game one. You know, it's not like game one, you you blew them out and then you just coasted through the rest of that game. No, you got embarrassed on your home ice. You lost a game you should have won. You still had an opportunity to win it in overtime. You did it. You had an opportunity to win in the shootout. You didn't. Uh, So you took a pretty unnecessary L. And then you show up in Buffalo with pretty much a total lack of effort. I mean, I'm not super concerned about things like the penalty kill from the Buffalo game because, again... Nobody really put in their A effort. They didn't even put in a B effort in there. It was a C minus effort at best. It's just one of those games, you know. Right, but it shouldn't be at game two. Yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things you can you could say, eh, it was a bad night. Nothing worked right. We're tired. It's an off night. We'll go to practice tomorrow and figure it out and get better. That's something you could say in December when you're you know in the middle of things, not the beginning of the season, not after a bad loss. You'd need to show up and put in some more effort. And, oh, by the way, but Dan, you know who's also not a gritty team that has plenty of skill that's going to be very reliant on their speed and how they find uh, gaps and spaces in their transition game? Mm. Do, do you know which team 
is is also relying on that. I don't know. Is it Buffalo? Buffalo. Yeah. It's amazing. They don't have the big body presence or the gritty, you know, reputation that you know some coaches just still have some bizarre love of. And yet they won seven too. So Hines, so Zajac, so everyone else. I don't think the Devils organization actually listens to us. <laughs> if they do, well, hear me out. It ain't about brotherhood. It ain't about identity. It's about knowing your role, performing in your role, and having the understanding of putting players in the right roles. The first two, that's on the players. The last one is on the coaches. Mm-hmm. And you have to imagine that, the, you know, for, for hockey players that have been around the league a long time, and even some of the newer guys, they're looking to make a better impression. So I don't think they need any, you know, extra motivation. And what we'll see in practice over the next couple of days, or, you know, at least until this episode airs, it'll be the classic, oh, he's making them skate laps again. Like all this, he's yelling at them in practice. I get it. Like, I understand that's what coaches do. But there are fundamental changes that do have to be made and again i'm going to reiterate for everyone out there on twitter everyone out there who is breaking down after two games into this season i need to remind you that there was a point where philly lost 10 in a row in november and still made the playoffs there's a point where again st louis was last and then won the stanley cup but this isn't over it's troubling for sure this is not the start we wanted to see but Man, like, people are freaking out. Right, but in a way, they're totally unjustified to do so because, as we've been talking about in previous episodes, and as we've written about in our season preview, the expectation levels are that much higher. And with higher expectations come more demanding fans. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if the team was not expecting to make the playoffs, we would say, this sucked, but, hey, not that big of a deal. We're playing for lottery balls anyway. Right. No, it, we, we have an understanding based on the last playoff appearance, which wasn't that long ago. It was in 27, 2018. The Devils made the playoffs that season by one middle point. One middling point. The Eddie Lack point, I like to say. It could be the Eddie Lack pick pick. <laughs> but the point of the matter is all these games count the same. So the, the games you blow in October, November, come back to haunt you in March. Mm-hmm. And last season, they blew so many games at the beginning of the season that they were out of the picture like St. Louis supposedly was by the new year. Like by January two, it was already you're calling up Sherman Abrams going, can you give us some tanking advice? The fact of the matter is I think the Devils fan base is smart enough to recognize that if the Devils really are going to push to the playoffs, you need to get every point possible and you can't have this many embarrassments this early on. So I think a lot of fans are just sounding the alarm early so they're not going into Thanksgiving going, man, if we fired the coach three weeks ago, maybe we could have salvaged this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think a lot of it is that height of expectations. Like, how quickly people forget that, again, just last year they started 4-0-0. A couple of years back sure. they were something like 7-2-1 and and then just collapsed. Like, this isn't something that is necessarily indicative of how the season will go, but – it's identifiable what went wrong. At this point, it's not like they were in two close games. They were in one close game that shouldn't have been and another one that was barely a game after the second period or after the middle of the second period. So hopefully, you know, this jolts a lot of people awake. This humbles the team because I think they were getting a little bit too confident in a lot of these changes that were being made. And 
that's the best I can hope for, really, at this point. That's what I want to see. I want to see a healthy Schneider not have to save 40 pucks for them to win a game. I want to see Blackwood save a puck eventually. Yep, and that's another concern as well. Now, to be fair, Blackwood was thrown into a bad situation in the Winnipeg game. Mm -hmm. It's hard to come into a game, especially a game where the lead is getting cut short and the other guy's injured. So now you have to come in and try to be the hero. But welcome to the life of being a goaltender in the NHL. You're not always going to get ideal situations. I don't I don't know what you need to do with Blackwood. Maybe you just need to tell him to go take a drive down 287 and think about things. Or you have him go eat a, you know, a meatball sandwich and say, all right, just relax. Enjoy your meatball sub. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at it at the tape on Monday. Whatever it takes, because... Even if you do expect Schneider to come back healthy and he's going to be amazing, you're going to need Blackwood to play some of these games, including the the back-to-back that is coming up to start this week of games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- Which is a nice segue for me to ask you, Dave. Yeah. What do the Nevils need to do this week? They've got Philadelphia, their home opener, their true home opener, because they played the first game in uh, Prague mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And then they got the Conor McDavid's coming on Thursday. And then they go up to Boston, which is never an easy place oh, to God. play. On Saturday. So you got three games coming up, three games and four nights. What would you consider to be a success? Three games and four nights? I yep. think if they can grab five points. That's a lot of points. Yes. <laughs> Given that they satisfied for at least three. I would three games and four nights, I would take three points. Sure. After what we saw in the first place, I want them to get that first win and actually understand what it feels like. And it would be nice if it came against Philly, considering that they didn't look half bad in uh Prague against Chicago. But again, you know, Chicago's Chicago, the problem with the league this year is that there could be 15 teams in the middle of the cluster there that can either you know, be like a five, six seed in their conference or be completely out of the playoffs by, by a long shot. So I think Chicago is one of those. It's hard to tell early well they'll end up, but the flyers look good. So they're, they're prepared to start this season. They're prepared for their home opener. It's on the devils. Now it's on everyone to get ready because this is not Buffalo. This is not Winnipeg. This is a team that you're going to see many, many times this year. And in subsequent years, you cannot let them get the upper hand in this rivalry. This is somewhere a majority of your points come from within the division, ideally. So if you get better at playing those division opponents, you can occasionally drop a heartbreaking contest against Winnipeg. I get it. But the way they look now, they just were not prepared. And I'm not sure what has to happen. Uh, Let's say out of a possible six, I'd like to see them get four. Let me amend that. Right. Okay. Well, I agree with you. I would like to see the Devils beat Philadelphia, partially because they are the second-rate rivals. Mm -hmm. You always want to beat a rival. It doesn't matter what the situation is. But it would also be a statement because, as you said, this is a divisional game. This is the first of many games within the Metropolitan for the Devils. And since their their playoff future is going to be in the hands of their opponents within the division. So these games are especially important to get results in. I would also like to see them win the game in Edmonton. Back at the Rock, partially because they need to redeem themselves in front of the home fans. Mm-hmm. Simple. That's that's a reason enough. And Edmonton is one of those teams that the Devils should really try to establish that they're at least better than Edmonton. Boston, that's up in the air because Boston is an incredibly good team. I don't think they're going to be the best team in the Atlantic, but they're always going to be a contender. They're always in the mix. The nice thing after the Boston game is that the rest of the schedule for October is not only light, but they're all, they're all home games. Mm. You got 
Florida at home uh, at that stupid 1 p.m. start on Monday, Columbus Day. You got our hated rivals on the 17th at home. You got a 1 p.m. afternooner with Vancouver. You got Arizona six days later on a Friday night. And then you got Tampa Bay at the on mischief night uh, at the end. And then you got Philly at home on November 1st. So you have six home games in a row. Mm-hmm. But I want them to get that first home home win against Edmonton. So this way you're not going into this home stretch going, oh, my goodness, the Devils may not win most of these games at home, where they should be successful due to line matching, having the last change, and being familiar with their home confines. Yeah, and that that's... I wouldn't say it's exactly a huge test to start the season either. I would be looking at the stretch being like, okay, this is a good opportunity to get some points, if not for the results of these first two games. Like, listen, if they had kept it at least somewhat close in Buffalo, I'd feel a lot better going into this stretch than I do now. Like, if they had made a game out of it, then I I get it. They're a road team coming off a back-to-back. Oh, aka the same exact position Winnipeg was in when they came back and beat them. Um, But it makes more sense than don't even show up for the game because you're too scared about what happened yesterday. Like, that doesn't sit right with me, and I don't know how the fans will respond if they do lose in Philadelphia. I am worried about them coming out and certain players, you know, just getting the boo-birds right away in the game against Edmonton. Well, if they don't want to be booed, don't do things that get people to boo you. Yep. It's in their hands. It really is. And that's the point I want to really stress to all the fans who are listening to this, who read all about the jersey, is that, you know what? Everyone has a right to be unhappy. But at the end of the day here, we are not the problem here. We are not the ones <laughs> who caused them to blow the game against Winnipeg. We are not the ones who told them, go to Buffalo and pretend to give a damn for three hours and get destroyed seven to two. We are not the ones who said, oh, everything's going to be just fine. No, we don't have a control over this. This is very much in the hands of the coaching staff and the players. And it's on both sides, both parties, to figure it out together, whether that's through video sessions, practices, skates, one-on-one meetings, meatball sandwich summits, whatever. Whatever it takes get results this week Mm -hmm. that's got to be the goal yeah it's crucial like they've already kind of ruined any sort of buffer zone they could have and i'm i'm wondering how the perception would change if they ended up winning that game in winnipeg like even if they had blown the lead if they held on uh you know got a late goal or won in overtime or the shootout i wonder what the buffalo game would have been like and i wonder what the fan perception would have been having a win in their pockets but they do not they're winless so are many other teams and including some teams that people thought would be contenders. For example, the Sharks are 0-3. Um, but again, they've played like Vegas twice. They haven't played Buffalo. They haven't played a weakened Winnipeg team at home in a home opener. Like These are games that good teams usually win, and they're going to have to figure out how to eventually win those. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what so. what's the fix here? How do they fix certain issues? Let, let's just get detailed okay. in terms of the lineup. How would you go about, if we say that Hughes needs defensive protection, if we say that um, 
the Coleman Zajac Simmons line might need to be broken up. What would be your moves to try and assuade some of these things? And I've been seeing a lot of play Paul Mary with uh, Hughes just to cover up some of the defensive mistakes, but that breaks up the top line. So what do you see as some potential options for the Devils to work with? Right. So I actually don't think that's a bad idea to start with mm-hmm. because, yes, the Heesher, Hall, and Palmieri line has been the team's best line. They're the only line that's above 50% Corsi. They're the only line that's above 50% in expected – actually, I take that back. The Zajac line is just above 50% in expected goals. But Palmieri is above 60% in expected goals. Mm-hmm. In other words, he, he's been fantastic right. uh, off on and off the puck. So I think there's some credence to that because right now, and you saw this especially in the Buffalo game, is that when you have one line that's doing okay to very good, and then you have three lines getting trucked and not getting anything done on the ice, then you need to consider breaking up that first line to help the other three. Because as good as that one line is, they're not going to play nearly as much as the other three lines combined. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as that. So... Given that the Devils did try Hughes with Hall and did try him, I don't think they tried him with Palmieri. No, not yet. But No, but what you could do is you could cycle out, and this is what the Penguins have done for many years, is that you know you start the game with Crosby and Malkin on separate lines, but if things get hairy or there's a matchup issue, you just put Malkin and Crosby together. And this is why I was complaining so much about a lack of adjustments in-game, is that this is something that teams do. And it could be incredibly successful. So we know that Hughes and Hall could work well together. In theory, Hughes and Palmieri could work well together since Palmieri is primarily a shooter and Hughes is primarily a passer. There you go. I think the bigger thing is you want to get Gusev and Hughes apart from each other mm-hmm. because I think the two, until they get acclimated, I wouldn't try them again together unless you can protect the line very well. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would try – I would try – Hall, Heischer, and Brat, which is something we know could could work in theory, and it helps Brat out a lot too because whenever you get him away from Hughes, he actually looked pretty good. And then you would try, you would try Hughes, Palmieri, and um, and Coleman. Mm-hmm. So this way you have two guys who are actually responsible off the puck. And Coleman isn't a bad offensive player either. Like he, he's very much a meat and potatoes or meat and pickles type of guy mm-hmm. with respect to uh, how he plays the game. But you never really get concerned about Coleman, you know, making a big mistake or, or getting completely torched. Well, he's almost so, a version of like, uh, this is going to sound pretty stupid, but he's the version of miles wood that has a brain i don't know he doesn't have the speed but he no. definitely is so dogged on the puck but in ways that don't sacrifice his defensive structure like he, he's someone who he won't give up on shooting the puck if he's being dragged down with a guy draped over him and he's nowhere near as fast as wood but he definitely plays with that tenacity that I know they like from Wood and that they want to see from the rest of the team. So I don't know if that's like a stupid analogy, but that's no, just the first thing that popped no, into my it, head. It, it's not that stupid of an analogy. And and to your to your point, yeah, Coleman, I think, in theory, would be a good fit. So this way, if those turnovers do happen or somebody has to dump it in, Coleman can retrieve that puck. So you have that going. Your third line, in theory, could be uh, a combination of Zajac, Simmons, and uh, Gusev. So this way you give that line a little flair, a little extra speed, a little bit of panache to two guys who are very much uh, meat and potatoes types players who go down low, work hard, 
play quote unquote gritty and Gusev doesn't have to worry so much about defense because Zajac and Simmons have a general idea of what they're what they're doing. Your fourth line could very very well be Wood, Zaka, and Rooney or Bokvist. And if you really have to have him in there, Hayden. So this way you have a nice change of pace lineup. And most importantly, be willing to change the lines as the game goes. If one of those combinations is getting killed, change either try to change the matchup or change the makeup. Do one of the two. Don't just sit through the four because somebody else is doing well. Be willing to make changes as you happen. But at the very least, you have different looks for each line. Each line has some offensive ability, offensive flair. But no, there's no like line where it's like, oh my goodness, Gusev Hughes and Pratt are going to get murdered by any NHL veteran lineup because they're just going to take every turnover and run it down their throats. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would do at forward. On defense, and I keep saying defense here because this Mueller-Severson thing cannot continue. It just can't. It absolutely cannot continue. No. I would I would almost ask if Carrick or Vatnin can play on their offhand so Mueller can take a night off. As bad as Severson has been, Mueller has been dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Severson has had a lot of problems, and I do mean a lot of problems, but we know from past history he's not this bad normally. Mueller, on the other hand, is very much what you see is what you get. Right. Anyway, but here's what I would do. As weird as it sounds, I would actually keep Green and Subban together for for now because it actually has been functional. Mm -hmm. Hasn't always been perfect, but functional. You can live with it. Butcher and Severson need to go together, and Mueller and Vatnin need to be reunited. Because if you need to keep Mueller in the lineup, Vatnin at least knows how to play with Mueller. And then you just need to tell Mueller, especially Mueller, to pay pay attention on the ice and actually react to things. You can't just be a statue out there in your position. You have to go out there and make a play if necessary. And tell Severson the same thing too, because he has been remarkably passive. When usually his problem is that he's too aggressive, he has been the the lack thereof. But hopefully with different partners, that'll spring him to do so. In net, uh, Schneider's probably going to be your first choice, but in this back-to-back coming up, Blackwood's going to have to get one of those games. Um Unfortunately, I would almost want to give Blackwood the home game just because that'll be an e- Edmonton should be an easier opponent for a shooter than uh, I'm sorry for a goaltender than Philadelphia in theory. Yeah, Edmonton has the best player in the world, but that's all they got. They got him and Drysaddle. That's it. Philadelphia has multiple lines, multiple attackers from the back. It's going to be a harder night for a goaltender in theory. So that's what I would do in terms of roster makeup and in my approach to handling the roster during the game for the next couple days. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're, this is going to be a weird question, but if you're coaching this team, what do you say? Like you can make the roster decisions, but it's clear that there was another added layer of kind of lack of effort after a certain point in the games as well. So what do you say to kind of change the motivations of this team? They, they obviously want to win. They're all professional athletes, right? But, Clearly, after a certain point, if they think the game's out of hand or if it's a tough start, there has not been some concerned effort to try and get it back or at least to make wiser decisions. It's more of try the same thing and jam it down their throats over and over again. So what would you say? What could you even what angle could you approach this at and say, listen, guys, like this has to be better. But what specifically? All right. First and foremost. Zone exits have to be a lot better because mm-hmm. you're getting hemmed in because you're trying to make a pass to another teammate or you're trying to make a 
perfect clearance or you're trying to skate it out from by your own net, first and foremost, never skate it by your own net unless there's nobody there. When other guys are around, I'd rather you ice the puck than try to skate it next to the goaltender. Do not do that ever again, Jack Hughes. But in general to everybody, I want you to make quick decisions on the puck. I'd rather you make a not-so-good decision immediately than take your time and hope that you're going to have enough time to make a decision. Because in this game, at this level, you do not have one or two seconds to make a decision on the puck. You have to make a decision immediately. You need to make a read immediately you need to make an attempt immediately because when you dilly dally that's when four checkers come in that's when four checkers can get blocks on you that's when you can have pucks stolen and that's when you have your minute long shift become a two minute shift that can't continue i'd rather you make the decision and then just like everything else in hockey react to the decision as best as you can because that's the nature of the game but you need to be a lot faster upon it. And, and if the zone exit is not perfect with possession, as long as you're not constantly icing it, we'll work through it. But first things first, you need to be able to make your make your attempts much more quickly, make your decisions more quickly, cut back on the hesitation, and for the love of God, stop skating the puck by your own net. Right. That would be the first thing. Right. Th- that last point that you made, uh, in terms of skating the puck in front of their own net, like... That happened twice on the tying goal against Winnipeg. That was so egregious, and I don't know why that attempt was even made. So, yeah, that's a good area to focus in on um, in terms of getting out of the zone. It's not even to start an offensive opportunity. It's to provide relief to everything that's been going on in the back. Right. And with Winnipeg, especially in the Winnipeg game, the, the Winnipeg defense was easily controllable in the neutral zone, which is a big area of why the Buffalo game went as badly as it did, because there was no neutral zone defense in that game from the Devils. They were just constantly run over in the neutral zone, which would be the second thing I would talk about to the team. I would say within the neutral zone, what you need to do is you need to be a lot better on handling the puck. And that also includes the first 10 feet going over the blue line. You guys have been doing a great job carrying the puck in more instead of just dumping it in. That's good, but it doesn't mean anything if you're just going to lose the puck shortly after gaining the zone because you're too busy looking for a teammate. You're too busy deciding whether or not you're going to shoot or not. You're too busy trying to get a read on what's happening. Just as with the zone exits, you got to make the decisions much more quickly. And as as inefficient as dumping it in is, I'd almost rather you do that than have your guys give it potentially lose the puck within 10 feet of the blue line because guess what happens because when you're losing the puck there your teammates are already committed to going in with you and that means guess what you're stuck you have to turn and stuck behind and by the time you do turn around the other team has two or three guys heading up ice against two one or two defensemen that's how you lose hockey games that's how you get in trouble that's where your goaltender wants you to you know wishes that you had made a better decision on the puck you gotta handle the puck better going into the zone and then when the play does get into the neutral zone, you got to be able to make stops in the neutral zone. You don't have to line up guys for big hits, Damon Severson. It's it's wonderful when, you know, Subban drops Kyle O'Connor Connor guys, but you got to be able to win the puck back. You got to be able to get in their way. You did a great job against that for most of the Winnipeg game. Just think to what that mindset was and do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously a lot of work to be done. But again, I want to I want to hold off on all the tanking tweets, pushing the panic button, push it, but don't keep pushing it. Listen, you you can freak out about this, and I I apologize if it made it seem like it was not a smart take to do so or anything like that, but 
just remember that this is two games in a very long season. And while you do need every point, um, there is still plenty of time for them to figure this out. There's still plenty of time for them to learn some harsh lessons. And at the very least, this isn't happening with like five games to go in the season. Correct. So, but yeah, go ahead. It's just keep in mind that, yes, you don't want to panic, you know, hit the panic button and have Heinz fired, have Elaine Nazardine take a cab or an Uber or a Lyft or whoever the ride provider of the NHL is to take him anywhere outside of Newark. Look, don't make gigantic changes like that, but there are things that do need to be addressed and need to be addressed much more quickly. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Because if you don't fix them now, they're going to continue to be problems. There's one thing I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, and that's that Jesper Boquist had his NHL debut as well. Um, and, Correct. Uh, you know, we said there were no positives in the Buffalo game. I'd say if we had to pick just one, it would be him. I think he had mm. a pretty strong debut for the situation that he was placed in. Like, he didn't look worse than the majority of the team. So, I, congratulations on the debut. Hopefully, subsequent starts are much better for him. I didn't think he played that well in Buffalo. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I have to disagree. I don't think he had that good of a debut. I mean, he was definitely uh, better than the majority of the team. But hey, he was on, He made his NHL debut. A lot of hockey players who get drafted never get even that. So congratulations to him for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, that was tough. But we got through it. And listen, these are the conversations that you and I are having. But these are also conversations that I'm sure the team and everyone associated with is having as well. So... I, I find it hard to believe that they'll produce that kind of effort over and over again. And if it does happen, then brace yourselves for a long season. But on paper, they should be better. This team is too good to consistently play like this. And I would like to see them at their full potential. I'd like to see them forechecking aggressively. I'd like to see them go back to, I know you mentioned it a couple times on Twitter, but fast attacking supportive. What's wrong with that? Nothing was wrong with that. Let's go back to that mindset and see if they can't produce a little more opportunity for their skilled players. Absolutely. All right. And with that, I've got nothing else for today. Is there anything else you want to touch upon? Well, I really don't have anything else, Dan, other than to say that Let's all hope that the Devils win some games this coming up, this week coming up, and go into their homestand with some confidence, something to be happy about, something that they can most importantly build on, and they'll make for a better and happier show next week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing where you hear every sportscaster talk about how hard the season is when the team is not good. I wouldn't, we're not sportscasters by any means, but we are people who talk about the team, and it's always more fun when they're doing well. So we're sending them all of our positive energy, even though there might not be a lot of it at the current moment, and let's see them get some results this week against some rivals. Philly, who we know is a rival, and Edmonton, who chose to position themselves as a rival when they started yeah. talking smack about the Taylor Hall trade. Well, nobody cares about Edmonton's feelings. They're going to finish seventh in the Western Conference, and you know we're just going to go, well, the day ended with why they stink. Well, there you go. All right, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back here next week to hopefully break down some wins. Have a great rest of your day.